Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Tonight, we are hitting reset once again as we continue to move towards and prepare for reopening and gathering again regularly. I'm excited for what the future holds. I'm excited for some new opportunities and fresh starts to be able to hit reset and say, okay, where is God moving and how can we come alongside and partner with him so that we'll see lives and communities transformed? Last week was so exciting to be together again in person and to reconnect with many of you. For those of you who couldn't make it, we missed you, but I'm glad that you were able to meet with us online. And last week, I anchored the message in a passage from Philippians 2 as we looked at how we can remain engaged by fixing our eyes upon Christ and serving one another in love. So tonight, I want to pick right up from where I left off in Philippians with the following verses, verses 4 and 5, which say, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Pastor Rick Warren writes, God wants you to learn that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Let me say that again. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And this is a central part of who we are as the Well Community Church. Our mission is to make Jesus known so that lives and communities will be transformed. And our vision to see that happen is to connect, grow, give, and go. It's part of our DNA and who we are and how God works in and through us. When you say, I love you to your spouse, do you also give them your attention? If you really love your kids, do you, do you give them your time? Of course you do. It's a no-brainer. This is what love's all about. And as we know, actions speak louder than words. If we're just saying, I love you, but we're not giving away our time and investing in them and connecting with them, then we might not be loving them the way we think we are. But you know what? What's so great is that as we become more loving people, we become more generous in our giving. As our love deepens for our spouse, we want to spend more time, generous amounts of time with them. As we fall in love with our kids, we become generous with with our resources and our time. I believe that a change takes place within us each time we take the opportunity to be generous. Every time you give out of a place of love, whether it's your time, your resources, your finances, I believe your heart moves closer to God. You become more loving. You become more like Jesus. So tonight, I want to talk about the idea of giving the task and the responsibility of giving. Like I said, it's part of our vision to connect, to grow, to give, and to go. And what we're talking about tonight is highly countercultural. It might make you uncomfortable. It might make you kind of 
squirm around in your seat a little bit because the world around us does not tell us to give. The world around us tells us to get, get more, get bigger, get better. It tells us that this world is all about me, my stuff, my needs, me, me, me. We have a me problem. We even see this in churches when, oh man, I don't like the songs that they sing or the pastor told too many jokes or not enough jokes or didn't go deep enough or spoke for too long. Or one that I experienced growing up was I grew up in a church with pews and everyone knew whose pew was whose pew. And you'd come in and you're, wait a second, someone's in my pew. Like, you see how easy it is to get caught up in the me problem? Everything becomes about me. But when we live out of a posture of generosity, which, by the way, is also one of our church values, (laughs) it takes the focus off of us. And we start thinking about others. And just as we stay engaged by serving others, we also move the mission forward by giving to others. And it's for this reason, Paul says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. In another letter that Paul wrote, he illustrates a couple of principles regarding our generosity and our giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8, he writes, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The first principle we see here in Paul's writing is the harvest principle. What you sow, what you plant, you will reap, you'll receive. And this works for good and for bad. It means that whatever you plant, you will harvest. You'll get back, you're going to get returns. And this is true about our money, our time, even our attitudes. If you sow gossip, well, you'll receive gossip and you'll be gossiped about. If you sow criticism, you'll get back criticism. If you plant the seed of resentment, don't be surprised when people begin to resent you. But if you plant seeds of love, kindness, joy, you'll soon discover a world of love, kindness, and joy. So let's take this harvest principle, the the principle that you'll receive back what you plant and ask ourselves this question, what do I need more of? It kind of spins things around. Do you need more energy? Well, you have to give energy through exercise in order to reap the benefits. Do you need more compassion in your life? Give it away by extending compassion to others. Do you need more love? Well, start loving others. This is how this principle works. 
the community of Binbrook, in which we live and our church is located, has a rich history of agriculture. And I love driving through the country with the windows down and just seeing fields upon fields. And in the fall, my kids love going through some of the local corn mazes and just getting lost in the huge stalks of corn. So let's say you take one kernel of corn and you plant it in the ground. Do you get one kernel back? No. You end up with a stalk and a bunch of ears and thousands of kernels. So the harvest principle doesn't just say you'll get back what you put in. It's not one for one. You'll actually get back more than you put in. But again, this works for better or for worse. What you give yourself to will be multiplied. And then the second principle that comes out of this passage of Paul's is the principle of delay. And this is one that we don't like very much, that there's always a delay between planting and harvest. When you plant one kernel of corn, you don't get an ear of corn the very next day. Instead, you plant in one season and you harvest in another. There's seasons and rhythms to life and how God works. And the same is true in our generosity and our giving. When you give to others, when you give to God, when you give your life away, you don't receive the results the very next day, right? There's a season of waiting. But here's what I love, how God's designed all of this. It's that while we wait, we also learn to trust. We trust that God has a plan. We trust that he will provide. We trust in his faithfulness. I believe the principle of delay helps strengthen our faith in God. And you know what? I believe that if you remember these principles, the harvest principle and the principle of delay, and you apply them to your life, you will start experiencing an uncontainable joy. And not just a joy in life, but a joy in giving. You'll start wanting to give more because you see the results of what's happening from your giving, from the seeds that you're planting. You start seeing the fruit, but it doesn't always happen right away. In Acts 20, verse 35, the words of Jesus are recorded. There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. You've probably heard this line before. You might have even used it with your kids at Christmas time. There's more happiness found in giving than receiving. So let, let's make sure we're getting gifts for others, right? But here's what I love about this is Jesus doesn't say that there's no happiness in receiving. There is. Of course there is. We all love receiving gifts and what it means. Who doesn't love receiving a gift, especially if that's your love language and how you're wired? But what Jesus says is that there's more happiness in giving. So you take that experience and how you feel when you receive a gift and you multiply that and there's more joy in giving. And this again goes against what the world tells us, what the world preaches. The world tells us to get more and then we'll be happy. But we know countless stories where that just simply is not true. If we're not content with the little amount we have, we'll never be content with the large amount. What I love is that Jesus doesn't think like the world. And if you want to be like Jesus, 
then you need to learn how to give. We are most like Jesus when we are giving, when we're serving others and we're giving to an eternal purpose to see God transform lives and communities. And it's that kind of giving and generosity that produces joy. I believe that God wants us individually and collectively as the church to be more generous because it makes us more like him. Because he then can use our giving to bless others. And in turn, he uses our generosity to bless us. We get to witness God transforming our community and transforming the world. That's what your giving can do. But you know what? When we talk about giving, especially when it comes down to our finances, we get to the age-old question of how much am I supposed to give? And this is kind of a tricky question for many, an uncomfortable one for many. And while this won't be an exhaustive look at the subject, I want to touch on another biblical principle of giving. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. This is based on the principle of tithing. Now, a tithe was literally one-tenth or 10% of your income. And back in the Old Testament, we're not talking about salaries or cash, but it was an offering of one's agricultural income to the Lord as, as an expression of thankfulness and dedication, understanding that it all comes from him and we are giving the first tenth back to him, saying thank you. And while the idea of tithe is still present in the New Testament, it's never explicitly applied to believers. Instead, followers of Jesus are called to be radically generous in response to the good news of Jesus, while still trusting in God as provider. You see, by giving back, by giving that tenth back from the first fruits, from our first and best, we are reprioritizing our life, saying, God comes first. And at the center of the principle of tithing is that what we do with our money shows where our heart is. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason the Bible talks so much about money, even half of Jesus' parables are about money, is that this is where so many of us get tripped up. Money messes with our heads. Money messes with our hearts, and it can ruin us. But when we give back to God that first 10% or more of our income, it reminds us first and foremost that everything comes from God. And secondly, that money doesn't control us that we are in control of what we're doing with our funds. It reminds us that our heart isn't tied to our money and that out of our love and our thankfulness to God, we can allow him to be in control of our finances. This is a tough one to swallow for many. I know this isn't easy. Trust me, I'm living by what I'm preaching. 
And I know many people get hung up on this whole 10% thinking it's crazy. I've even had some people come to me and say, Kev, really? 10% of my income? If you knew what I made, that's an absurd amount of cash. And it breaks my heart because it's not the amount. God knows that we all can't give an equal amount because we all have different resources. Some of us have dual income homes. Some of us are single and, and we're just providing, we only have what we can provide for ourselves. God knows that we all can't give an equal amount. But what's brilliant about the 10% principle is that I believe God gave a percentage knowing that all things would equal out. If you have 10 bucks, you can give a dollar. If you have a hundred bucks, you can give 10. He's not saying you owe this amount. But I believe that by giving us a percentage, it also helps keep us accountable. It helps us keep things in check. Are we putting God first in our life and in our finances? God knows that we're naturally inclined to think of ourselves first. Our first instinct is to keep the money, but that's the brilliance of the tithe. He's not asking for it all back. He's saying, dedicate the first tenth to me and watch me provide for you and bless you in ways you never thought possible. It's hard, but I believe the act of giving and cultivating a posture of generosity allows God to change our hearts so that ultimately we end up doing so cheerfully and with joy. There's a few people I'm connected with who even support our church. They don't call the well their home church. They have another home church, which they give their 10% to. And then they support us and they support Young Life and they support Prison and Fellowship International. And they support several other ministries above and beyond because as they start giving, they realize how much God is providing for them. And they just wanna continue blessing others and seeing God move and work in lives and communities. They wanna see this world transformed for Jesus Christ. And I believe the same happens within us. When we start cultivating our generosity, we start realizing we're not giving away enough. What we get to see God doing in and through us, let, let's start blessing more people with what we can. So I've wrestled with this question this week of what do I give? And I've wrestled with whether or not I should share what I give with you because I don't wanna put myself up on a pedestal by any means. And what we give to God is a matter of the heart. I am removed from the finances. I do not see what any of you give to the church. So I'm not keeping tabs. I trust that what you give is between you and God. But as I prayed about it this week with whether or not I should share with the church what Amanda and I have decided to give, I felt that as your pastor, I need to, pardon the pun, but put my money where my mouth is. If I'm going to preach this, I want to communicate to you that I am living this. So I'm not going to give specific dollar amounts, but Amanda and I, at the beginning of every year, sit down with our budget, and the first question we ha ask is, how much are we giving to the local church? Is it 10% of our income? 
and we make sure that it's at the 10% mark. And this year, we're just a little bit over the 10% mark that we give to the Well Community Church. And then from there, we look at the other charitable donations that we've made commitments to. And we say, okay, this is over and above our 10%. And we make sure that we fulfill those promises and commitments that we've made. And then we actually this year too sat down and said, how much are we going to start giving to the Global Advance Fund? And how much are we going to start giving to the District Ministry Fund? Because we are part of a larger church family and the District Ministries goes to support new ventures, new initiatives, existing churches to come alongside and equip and help support and sustain other pastors and ministries. And the Global Advance goes to support our National Ministry Center and the Global Advance, which is making Jesus known to the least reached people groups around the world. So we sat down and figured out all those numbers and we thought the numbers were a little crazy, but we were like, God comes first. His gospel is first in our life and we want to see it made known around the world. And then from there, we take whatever's left and we budget out and we live on that. Savings, groceries, transportation, and the other thing I wrestled with growing up as a kid, would I, I would always ask my dad, do you give 10% off your gross or your net, your take home? And he said, Kev, again, that's a matter of your heart, but God's asking for the first fruit, the first 10%. And your net, oh, there's already so many deductions from there. So why does the government get the best if God's not going to? So Amanda and I made the decision several years ago that we would give to God off of our gross. And every time I even get a raise, our church has been very generous to me and thank you for that. I go back to our bookkeeper and I say, okay, here's the difference since I got the raise to now and I want to make sure that I'm caught up because I want to continually give God the first fruit. So Amanda and I, give 10%. And I share this with you and we do this not simply to get a good return, but because we trust that God will continue to provide for us. Even when we crunch the numbers and it just doesn't seem to make sense. Our accountant, she's a non-believer and she's commented several times that she doesn't know how we manage to have everything we have and do everything we do, but I do. Is that God has been faithful to us every step of the way. It might not make sense on paper, it might not make sense to bookkeepers, it might not make sense to anyone, but are you putting God first in your life and in your finances? If you're not, I challenge you to do so. Everything else will be transformed and change around you and you will look back and say, I never thought that was possible. I guarantee it. Let me wrap up with one last story from when I was a young adult. I was sitting in a church service one Sunday morning up on the balcony with several of my friends. And I'm not sure if the pastor was talking about tithing or not. I really don't remember much. But I do remember that all I had was $5 in my wallet. And I only had $5 until payday, which was the following Friday, five days away, $5, five days. And I remember feeling this sudden urge that 
I needed to put my last $5 in the offering plate as it passed by. And I was terrified. This $5 was my security. This $5 was all I had left. It was all I had between having something and having nothing. Now, it makes me laugh to think that $5 was gonna last me for five days. I don't really know what I was thinking. It's like, what, really? Like, what? How much did I really think that that was gonna provide? But I remember the plate starting to come down our pew toward me. And my heart started racing. And I took the $5 and I put it in the plate and I said, God, this is yours. And that same day, a friend called me up and asked if they could take me out for lunch. They wanted to bounce some things off me and they'd buy me lunch. Later that week, the youth pastor called me up and asked if I wanted to come to a concert with the young adults because he had a few tickets left and he said, I'll give you one for free. And over and over that week, people kept inviting me over for meals or to do things with them at no charge. And I just remember laughing at the fact of how busy I was doing things and connecting with people and being fed and taken care of that $5 never would have allowed me to do. And again, it doesn't mean that every time we give, we're going to see results right away. But I believe in that moment, God was asking me to trust him. And he's saying, Kev, do you trust me? And while this seems like an absurdly low amount, this was my security. This is what I was clinging on to. But by letting it go and trusting him, I have been continually reminded to stay faithful in my giving, to stay faithful in my priorities, and to continue to stay faithful in my generosity out of my love for God and knowing that I can trust in his faithfulness to us. In the past, when I've preached on giving or I've talked about it, I've sometimes struggled. I felt as though I needed a good enough vision to sell you on. Like here we have the gold package or the bronze package or ooh, the platinum package. But you know what? Vision matters. But the more significant thing that God's convicted me of lately is that our faithfulness to him matters more. Are we being faithful in our finances? We will reap what we sow. There will be delay, but that's where we're called to trust. So I'm not trying to get you to buy into something tonight. I'm calling you to be faithful to God out of what he's given you. I believe that when we give by faith, it will help us grow it will help us mature, and it will help us to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a generous God. Thank you for blessing us with so incredibly much. And God, thank you for being faithful in your provision for us. Even throughout this past year, when we couldn't be meeting together in person, I didn't know how we were going to get through it. But I trusted you. 
and you provided for us every step of the way. So much so that we've been able to use our compassion fund to help others. We were able to give above and beyond to our general advance fund and district ministry fund. We're able to put some things in place in the budget that will help us move forward for when we do reopen. And God, it just doesn't make logical or reasonable sense but time and time again, when we put you first, you show us that we can trust in your goodness, in your love, and in your faithfulness. God, I pray that you move in the hearts of all of us hearing and watching this message. May you encourage us to step out in faith and trust you with our finances, our time, our resources, as we give back to you to see you transform lives and communities for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.